Okay, you guys just killed that. That was, <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, that was awesome. We're in a series called Different. And we've been talking about what it means for every single one of us to be set apart for God. To be holy. God wants us to be holy. Before I left for Nigeria, we were looking at people within the Bible that can help us on our spiritual journey to Christ-likeness. To what it means to be more like Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? This morning, I want to look at the life of Solomon and see what we can learn from him. See what Solomon can teach us. For Solomon, um, when he took his eyes off of God, when he took his eyes off of his first love, after that, all this world could offer was never enough. Was never enough. The moment he took his eyes off his first love, the one who is, is all-sufficient, the one who brings all contentment and all joy and all peace, when he took his eyes off of his God, everything this world could offer him was never quite enough. In the beginning of his journey, Solomon started out really, really well because he was listening to the advice of his father, David. Imagine, you know, Solomon, David's the king and Solomon, his son, and David just investing in his son and, and teaching him. So Solomon started off really well. It says in first Kings two, two and three, be strong, show yourself a man and observe what the Lord, your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his requirements as written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. That was his advice to his son. There are three points that I want to kind of lay out in uh, that talk about uh, Solomon's early spiritual life. Three points I just want to touch on as we talk about, we're going to talk about his early life, we're going to talk about the time in the middle, and we're going to talk about his end. And I hope each one, we can glean something from each point in his life that we can take home, that we can apply to our lives, that will help us be more set apart for God, more glorifying to God, that we would worship him even better than we're worshiping him today. Number one, he showed humility. In the very beginning, started out well, he showed humility in asking God for wisdom. God came to him. In 1 Kings 3, 5-9, it says at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? He's asking, what shall I give you? Imagine that. God's offering, what shall I give you? Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people 
whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? He's asking for wisdom. God says, what do you want, Solomon? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. We have the knowledge of God. God gives us this knowledge. And wisdom is being able to apply what you know, the knowledge that God has given you. It helps you make decisions that honor the Lord and are aligned with the word of God, with scriptures. So when you're making decisions in life at work, or you're at school, or wherever you are with your friends, wisdom will help you take the knowledge that God has put in your heart and apply it to your everyday situation. And you'll be able to make decisions that align with Scripture. You'll be able to make decisions that honor God. You will be set apart for Him. God will help you walk each one of your steps. So Solomon had the, in the very beginning, had the discernment, if you will, to ask God for wisdom. I don't, I'm young. I don't know how to rule this country. I don't know how to make great decisions. That's what I need from you, God. Help me. Great decision, number one. Number two, Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs, right? How many people here have read the book of Proverbs and have have really had that book impact their lives, their day-to-day choices throughout the years? Raise your hand. Right. Me too. Absolutely. As a younger believer, I would read through and read through and read through the book of Proverbs. And it literally was changing me like every single day. I would, I'd read something and go, oh, I gotta stop doing that. Or, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this anymore. Oh, this is a good one to watch out for. Oh, I gotta keep that in the back of my mind whenever I get in that situation. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Can you imagine the wisdom, the knowledge, the discernment, all of it there in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs is filled, absolutely filled with practical advice for how to live your life. How to live a godly life. How to be set apart. He wrote it. Third, Solomon wrote Song of Solomon. Okay? Same thing here. Same thing. Song of Solomon is a beautiful picture of what God desires our marriages to be. Alright? Now, jump ahead, some of you in your mind, if you've read enough, (laughs) um, to Solomon. Okay? Throughout his life. He wrote Song of Solomon. He wrote Proverbs, right? Proverbs talking about how let the wife of your youth satisfy you. Your wife, not your multiple wife, your wife. Solomon wrote that. That was the wisdom that he had. That was the discernment that he had. He had all of those things. He started out really, really well, writing all of these amazing, amazing things. It shows us that in the beginning of his life, Solomon knew what was right. He knew how to discern between right and wrong. He laid it all out for us. My goodness, it's in the word of God. He followed his God with his whole heart. And God, at that point in his life, was enough. God was enough. 
He had all that he needed. He was the king. He had his God. He was listening to his decrees. He was obeying his commands. He was doing what God had called him to do. And he was impacting this world for, for God in such a powerful, powerful way. He got his God was enough at this point in his life. It, God was all that he needed. Didn't need anything else. There was nothing. There was nothing this world could offer him that he was interested in. At this point, then all of a sudden, as you read through scripture, you see this shift in his life. I call it a mid-decades crisis, <laughs> okay? Because this didn't, wasn't like he ran out and got a, like a red sports car for a couple of years and goes, man, this is dumb. I'm just, I got to go get myself something decent to drive. Um, not, hey, I have a red truck. And so everybody's like, wait, I have a red sports car. Not a problem. Have a red sports car. That's not my point. Um, but he went through this, this um, mid-decades um, crisis in his life. And he literally began to tank, all right, spiritually. Solomon began to ignore, began to, to ignore his own counsel. He began to ignore the wisdom of Scripture. Remember his, his father David said, hey, hang on to this. Hold on to God's decrees. Learn them, study them. Own them, okay? Live them out. And all of your life, this is what will make you strong. This is what will make you a great king. You know, show yourself a man, basically, is what he said it. I love that quote. Show yourself a man, Solomon. And he did in the beginning. But then he started acting like what the world would consider a man, right? Got some notches on your belt, right? You know, started going through all this and... He ignored his own counsel, the wisdom of Scripture. This is really important. I'm going to stop for a second. This is really important that we, gra- we grasp this. Earlier, God had laid out for Israel um, the kinds of behaviors that he expects to see in a king. Now, this was before. This is like God's prophecy, okay? This was before Israel had kings. And God s- said, you're going to want them even though I don't want them for you, you're going to want them. If you're going to have them, this is the kind of king that you should have. Listen to what it says and think through Solomon's life. We find it in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart may be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. And when he take and when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is not to be it is it is to be with him. 
and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words, this law and these decrees and not to consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and to turn from the law, not, not to turn from the law to the right or to the left. And then, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Go through it again. So he says, don't amass horses. I don't want you to amass a ton of horses. Why does he say that? Because the amassing of horses has to do with um, aggression and military power. Okay, horses were used in the military. So that was one of the reasons, and we'll get there in, in, a, in a moment again. Um, he says, so don't amass horses. Um, and he says, don't multiply wives. Okay, nowhere in the Bible will you find anyone who has more than one wife where it works out well for him. And we're still suffering some of the consequences of those decisions by those in the Old Testament, even today. Okay? The consequences still with us today, with all the things that are going on around the world. He said, don't amass for yourself, don't, don't, don't multiply wives, okay? You got one. Genesis did not change, okay? One man, one woman didn't change. Right? Don't, don't multiply wives. Don't accumulate large amounts of gold and silver. And then and in the commentaries, all the different commentaries I was reading, I think they left one out. And that is, it's, it's, he's talking about pride. Guard your heart against pride. Don't think of yourself more highly, greater than the, your fellow Israelites. He's focusing on pride. It's so interesting in Christianity sometimes how we miss the number one cause, the number one sin, okay, and the number one cause of most of all the other sins, pride. God says to him, be careful not to think of yourself more highly than those around you. So God gives, he says, he gives these, he gives these commandments to future kings to prevent them, number one, from trusting in their own military might. Don't amass for yourself horses. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your military might. Don't be an aggressor. Then he says, don't have multiple wives. Why? Because that can lead you, and I'll get into this more in a second, but your, your, your multiple wives can lead you from the worship of your God. Then he says, don't amass for yourself a lot of gold and silver. Why did he say that? Because when we amass for ourselves, and we all know this, this isn't like, gee, I wonder what he's talking about. When you amass for yourself a lot of wealth, if you're not careful, that becomes what you rest on. That becomes what you, um, what you trust. You begin to trust yourself. You begin to trust your own wealth. You're wealthy now, right? You don't have to you don't have to worry too much about God or you have to trust in God. It takes away from trust in God. And it's what he said. He didn't say don't have he can't have any. Don't amass for yourself lots of gold and silver. Because you'll not trust me the way you should be trusting me. And then he says, Don't allow your pride, okay, don't allow your pride to corrupt your faith. Pride always corrupts faith. There's good, you know, a difference between good pride and bad pride. Bad pride always corrupts our faith. Solomon, in his wisdom, which always blows my mind, broke every single one of these completely, all right? Broke them all. He broke all four, 
of these completely. Um, his, taking, his taking of many wives and concubines was a direct violation of the word of God, which he knew. I said in the very beginning, Solomon knew what was right and he knew it was wrong. This was a direct violation. I just read it to you again of God's clear commandment. And just as God had predicted in first Kings chapter 11, verse four, it says this, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Remember, we talked about David. And, and we said David was a man after God's own heart because David's wives were never, never turned his heart away from the worship of his God. Was it, what, was it wrong? Yeah, it was wrong having them. But they never turned, they were not able to turn David's heart away from the worship of his God. Solomon, on the other hand, guys, this got really bad. Okay? This got his wives. He was marrying. He was he was making alliances over here and alliances, and he would marry this one and marry that one. And he had concubines, and all of a sudden he brings these people into the realm, and they all worship different gods. So what does Solomon do? Goes right along with the culture of the people around him to please his wives. Solomon, he he even sacrificed, okay, got involved in sacrificing to a god named Moloch, a god, a detestable god who expected um, horrible human sacrifices to be performed. And Solomon engaged in that behavior. First Kings 11, 7 and 8. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemoth, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. And for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burnt incense and sacrificed to their gods. And he engaged in this. When I say, you know, David had some ups and downs. Solomon was like, bam. I mean, hit the floor. I mean, he, he went, he just... He, he walked away from his first love and spiritually he just came apart. He came apart. We find God's response in 1 Kings eleven eleven. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Now, because of God's covenant with his father, David, he showed mercy on Solomon. But ultimately, the kingdom was divided. Okay, the the kingdom was ultimately pulled apart. God is God was not going to force Solomon to obey. God is not going to force you to obey. From the very beginning of the series, I was not going to get up here and say, we're talking about holiness, which means you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do that. That's not what we were talking. We have not talked about that. What I've said is, when you have a deep love for Jesus Christ, when you love God, your obedience comes out of that love. When you break that connection, I don't mean lose your salvation, but when you break that connection with God because of sin in your life, that connection begins to falter and you become less and less obedient to God. The more you love Him, the closer you are to Him, the more you will want to obey Him. 
Coming up in church and telling everyone what TV shows you can watch and what music you can listen to and what movies you should go to and how you should do this and why you can't do that. Let me give you five things at Grace Chapel you can't do. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. What works is to say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Listen, all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. If you do that, you will want to be obedient to God because of what he's done for you. Because what he's done for you in your life, you'll be awed by his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and all that you have. And you'll want to be obedient to him. And then you'll decide for yourself. Maybe I shouldn't be watching this. Or maybe you decide for yourself. Maybe I shouldn't be listening to that. Kind of really does says horrible things about women. Maybe I shouldn't listen to that. Maybe that would dishonor God. That becomes your choice, your decision, based upon your relationship with a living God. Solomon was tanking here. He, he had walked away, got himself into detestable sacrifices to other gods because of the women that he, the wives that he put around him that God warned him and warned him and warned him not to do warned him not to do. So God was not going to force Solomon to obey. Solomon clearly, just like most of us, honestly, Solomon clearly understood God's will for his life. Clearly understood God's will for his life. God had, God had blessed him with wisdom and discernment and gave him every opportunity to follow. But Solomon had so moved himself away from God and into the world. But then it, it, something happened. He moved himself into the world and then tried to find satisfaction in the world. And nothing he could do was enough. Never enough. Never enough. Never enough. A thousand women. Really? Not enough. Not enough. Massing gold and silver, not enough. Everything, never enough for Solomon. He tried everything and it was never enough. Instead of following God, Solomon chose to follow the influences of the world around him, all the influences of the people, all the influences of the culture around him, and his spiritual life disintegrated. You follow the culture, okay? You go along with everything that goes on around you and the people around you, whatever else. Your spiritual life will disintegrate. It just will. Mine will. Yours will. It doesn't matter. If we choose to follow along and not be set apart for God and not be obedient to the word of God, our spiritual lives will disintegrate. They will disintegrate. If you're not moving forward, you're going backward spiritually. Just understand that. No one stands still. If you're not moving forward, you're spiritually going backward. And Solomon suffered the consequences. I mean, think, just let's walk through this now. He is making sacrifices, and I'm going to the detail because there's kids here, uh, that are horrific, okay? He had completely and utterly tanked. I want you to just, some of you can, there are people leaving here at first service crying and saying, boy, I can relate. Boy, I can, I can really relate. I can really relate to him in his mid-decades crisis. But, and this is good for us, all right? God wasn't finished with Solomon yet. Not the great thing about God. It's a great thing about being a Christian, to be honest with you. 
You know, some people don't like it because you talk about how God saves people at the end of their lives. Like, you know, you bring up Jeffrey Dahmer and people just go crazy. Oh, man, I can't believe you tell me how you think you he, he can't be in heaven. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know. All I know is that someone came to his prison and shared Christ with him. And he asked Christ to come into his heart. I, I'm not God. But, you know, people hate that because that's not fair. Right? He lived his whole life. It's like we have this rule. But here's the amazing thing. God is patient. God is so loving. God is so merciful. God is so kind. He wishes that none would perish, but all come to repentance. God wants Solomon to come back. God wants his children. He wants his child. So something, something miraculous happens here. Something miraculous begins to happen in Solomon's life. Because God was not finished with him yet. So he uses Solomon... To write the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Song of Solomon, he wrote Proverbs, and he writes Ecclesiastes at the, basically near the end of his life. Now, it's this book of Ecclesiastes where we get, now we started out, we told you what happened in the beginning. He started out well, right? In the beginning, uh, he's looking for wisdom, you know what I mean? He's living that life, he's following after his father's instruction, he's, he knows the word, he's following the commands, he's doing amazing things with what God has given him in the beginning. Then all of a sudden, he goes through some point in his life and bam, hits rock bottom. But then now, we see the end in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, miraculously, I think is amazing because, you know, God put it together. Solomon chronicles everything he tried in order to fulfill the desires of his heart in this world, in, this, in his culture, apart from God. He lays it all out. He tells you everything that he tried, okay? And this isn't like shocking. I can't believe back then they did that. You know, we do the same thing right now. We do the same thing today. We try everything else, right? To, to, to find that satisfaction, to fill that void in our lives. Solomon chronicles all of his. In his word... In his words, he tried everything under the sun. Solomon says, I tried everything under the sun. He says in Ecclesiastes 2.8, I amassed. Now, let's go back to what God told them not to do. Everybody got that in your head? This is what Solomon says. All right? I amassed, amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired a harem as well, the delights of the heart of men. But his money, okay, his, his money and his harem didn't deliver what they promised. Sounds like a lot of us, our culture today, right? Sounds like a lot of what we do, people try to do in our culture today. Trying to find happiness in sex and wealth. You just keep going, notch, 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 notch. After a while, it's like, I feel empty. You know, Lee, I remember Lee Iacocca, the, who turned Chrysler around back in the what, late 70s, early 80s, was it? Um, my favorite quote by Lee Iacocca is, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. He was wealthy. He had done it all, right? When you get to the top, there's nothing there. So this didn't deliver what it was supposed to deliver. What he found was, and this is, this is what he says, everything, what I found after I tried all these things that I could try. And seriously, I'm going to stop just for a moment. Some, and whether you're listening to my voice on a the podcast or whatever, a CD or whatever, 
Um, some of you are doing this right now. You're, you're going around seeing what this world has to offer. You're kind of comparing the, the pleasures that are out. I'm not talking, oh, pleasures. I'm talking about like all the things the world has to offer as opposed to what God has to offer. And what I'm trying to explain to you, and I'm 100% right, okay? Um, Solomon did more than any one of us could ever even imagine trying to do. He had the most money. He had the most women. You couldn't afford to keep that many. If you're a woman, you couldn't afford to keep that many men, okay? It's just not going to work. He did it all. He said, I built gardens and I had this and I did, I just let it go, man. I did everything. And this is what he says after all that. Everything is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. All of it was meaningless. Outside of God, apart from God, all of it is completely and utterly meaningless. A complete waste of time. A chasing after the wind. Nothing is accomplished under the sun. That's what he's saying. That's what he came to. I appreciate Solomon here turning around. Okay, repenting and turning around, turning his life around. Repentance means to turn, right? Go where you were, now you're turning. There's another person who I really appreciate. I don't know where he is spiritually, but um, his name is Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew is the father of atheism. And Anthony Flew had the courage in his life, later in his life when he got older, okay, to change his position. And he wrote this book. There is a God. This is the father of atheism. And after all that he, all the study he had done, after everything he accumulated in his mind, he comes at the end and he changes his perspective. He changes his mind and says, there is a God. Interestingly enough, he was a part of C.S. Lewis's Socratic Club. And C.S. Lewis's Socratic Club, they had, a, they had a motto. And the motto was, follow the argument wherever it leads. Follow the truth wherever it leads. And I really appreciate people like this because he had everything to lose by coming out and writing this type of book. His whole life was based upon there is no God, the father of atheism, all this kind of thing. And when he, at the end, at the very end, he says, I was wrong. I followed truth to its logical conclusion. I followed I followed the argument wherever it led, and it led me back to God. You should never, a little side note, you should never be afraid of truth as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because truth always leads back to God. No matter where you hear it, no matter where it comes from, I'm talking about truth, not opinion. Truth always leads you back to God. So we should never, ever be afraid of truth. That is so important for us to understand. Now, I really believe, guys, and this is why I'm using Solomon, I, I, I think we can learn a lot from Solomon about what not to do, okay, to be set apart for God, to be holy. We can learn, we can learn some good things about what to do, okay, 
from the beginning, at, like from the beginning and the end. But we, there's, it's so important. I think we, we miss this sometimes. There is so much we can learn from Solomon about what not to do when it comes to living a holy life. Because failure, and if you're, if you're a little older here this morning, you will go with me on this one completely. Failure can teach us, can teach us some really important lessons. Failure is sometimes the greatest teacher. I'm not saying go out and fail on purpose. I'll give you an example. 20 years ago, when we started the church. Um, we're going to do a 20th anniversary um, time, too, in January. We're going to have a, like a big to-do in January for our 20th anniversary. But 20 years ago, we started doing this thing called business tree, right? We combined business and ministry because we wanted to create economic zones around the world that can impact the lives of orphans and widows. And, we, and we've been working hard. And right now, I'm telling you, in, I just got back from Nigeria. Oh, my goodness, we're killing it in Nigeria. I'll give you one example. Um, this is a, for me, it's like a God thing. We have this, we've talked about, we have this big chicken farm in Nigeria, right? And it's doing exceptionally well. They're making money, very profitable. It's excellent. Hired a bunch of people. It's wonderful. You know what happened last week while I was there? The government decided no more chicken imports. You cannot import chicken into the country. I'm like, cha-ching, you know what I mean? Because he who has a chicken farm in a place where you can't import chicken, that's a good thing, right? I, I'm, I'm not going to go any further than that because there's a lot of amazing things that God is doing there. We have incredible people on the ground. But there's something, there's something about failure that can teach us a lot of great lessons. When we started doing these business tree things 20 years ago, um, I felt like God was speaking to my heart on, on what we should do, how we should do it. And so me and my ready, fire, aim kind of personality, right? Someone said, hey, how you doing coming back from Nigeria? I said, fine, I'm a little bit tired. They said, oh, no way, your ADD will kick in. And I said, hey, you know, that's like a spiritual gift for me, okay? Um, I don't, I'm, not sure, I'm not diagnosed that way. I'm just, you know, I'm just being funny here. But... Yeah, yeah. All right, I, I am. Now, I'm not diagnosed, but I am. I probably am. All right. But here's the thing. I was like ready, fire, aim, and I and God was like, okay, here's what. I, picture this. Here's what I'd like you to like you to do. And I was like, got it, got it, got it. And, I'm, and God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I'm not finished. I'm like, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry, I got this. Seven years of dopey mistakes. Okay, because I just ran out. To do this, and I had some people with me who just ran out with me, and we made a bunch of mistakes. We made a bunch of mistakes. Here's the really good part of that. Fast forward to now, or fast forward to five or six years ago, there are people from all over the world, okay, all over the world, who come to this campus to learn what we are doing, how we are doing it, because we're so successful in doing it, not only here, but in other countries, so what we do is we sit down with them. You know what the first thing we teach them is? What not to do. Those are the first lessons. What not to do. Don't do this. Don't do this. We tried this. Oh my gosh. We did this twice. What did, you know, we don't do that. We learn so much about what not to do. And it's such a valuable lesson to other people. Because listen, we're not building Grace Chapel's not building, we're not building our kingdom, we're building God's kingdom. So when other people come from other parts of the world, other parts of the country, other parts of this neighborhood, and say, how did you do it? What we can do is say, okay, listen, 
You start right here. There's a big chasm right there. Don't. You have to go around that and go through this. Duck when you get to this place. Jump over that. You, you put them 20 years ahead to avoid all the things that you did. Failure is a phenomenal teacher. Okay? It is helpful for those who have fallen short, have failed, have done things that weren't the smartest thing to do to tell other people what not to do. This is Solomon. His, so much of his life is what not to do. We need to glean from this. We need to learn from this. If you're out there right now and you're kind of, you're, you're sowing your wild oats or you're testing out this, you're going to try that, whatever else. What I'm telling you is use your mind, man. The, the expert in stupidity, okay, tried it. It didn't work it didn't work you think you're you think you're now going to go and you're going to do this and do this and do this and it's all going to and you're going to feel fulfilled and you're going to feel complete it's not going to happen it's not going to happen learn from his mistakes we should learn from other people's mistakes that's what we need to do. It's nice to think for me, okay, not just think, this is what I believe theologically, that Solomon turned around, okay, that he ended. I like, to, I like to think that people end well. As crazy as their lives are when they're going through things, you know, it doesn't matter how you start a lot of times, guys. It matters how you finish. If your parenting right now is so-so, you know what? You're not done. It matters how you finish. It matters how you finish. I believe Solomon repented. I believe that in his life, you see it in the book of Ecclesiastes, I believe that he repented at the end of his life. And once again, he starts giving us some really good advice. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says this. Here is the conclusion of the matter. This is what he comes to after his whole entire life. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Right? There it is. That's what he comes to. You know, it's never God's desire that we sin, but God is not going to stop us from making the choices that we make. We're not puppets. He's not a puppet master. We have a free will. God doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to make... You know what? What would have been a better plan? If I would have... When when God would have been speaking, if I would have been more like this. And I'd have shut my mouth and my mind a little bit and just bowed and listened instead of this. I got it! I can still run. See, I'm old, but I can still run. Right? But I learned something. And here's the good thing for a lot of us, okay? You did. You, you, you messed up. You've fallen short. You're making choices that are not honoring to God. Turn. He's right there. He's right there. This is the great thing about our God. Solomon wasn't done yet. The story of Solomon is a powerful, powerful lesson for those of us who are those people maybe here who have started strong for God, but then for some reason have drifted away. And don't, don't close your heart right now and don't close your mind. Listen to what I'm saying. Is a powerful lesson for those who have start, who started out well and then who have drifted away. Maybe you drifted away in college or maybe you drifted away in high school 
Or maybe, and I'm not, I'm going to be a little sarcastic, but just hear, hear my heart on this one. Or maybe you drifted away because you're just stinking ticked off at God. You know why you're ticked off? Because when you rubbed the magic lamp, the genie didn't come out and give you your three wishes. You had a plan. You had it all laid out. You told God what your plan was. You expected him to grant your three wishes, and he didn't. And now you're ticked. It's not going to work for you. It's not going to work. It's not going to turn out well. God has a God. Let me explain something to you. God has a better plan for your life than you do. God knows you better than you know yourself. He has a better plan for your life than you have for yourself. So you need to sit down with him. Come let us reason together. You need to sit down with God. Express your heart because he knows how you feel already. Tell him you're ticked. Tell him why you're ticked. Come to a conclusion and move on. Because it's not going to work out for you. And those, some people have drifted, honestly, because they're pulled by the culture. They just go along to get along. There's all these new cultural things coming down the pike. And, you know, what is this one and that one, you know, partial birth and this one and everything. And they're just like, ah, you know what, I'm just going to ignore. I don't, it doesn't affect me. I don't care. And so you just kind of go along and you've drifted away from God. My friends, it is not enough to, like Solomon, it is not enough to start well. We need to constantly ask God for wisdom. We need to constantly ask God for strength so that we can finish well also. We need to finish well. As a matter of fact, finishing well is more important than starting well. We need to finish well. This, the exciting thing again is, like I said, this is good for us. This morning, this day, This Sunday can be a new beginning for you. I don't care where you are spiritually. This can be, this can be a fresh start. This can be a new beginning. We said that wisdom, like wisdom was knowledge applied. The knowledge of God being applied to you. How do I apply it to my life? Solomon thought, Solomon thought that having a thousand women would provide happiness for him. That's what he thought. But whatever pleasures he derived from that, okay, um, it wasn't worth the price that he paid. And I wish I could say this in some way that really could sink in. It never, it never is. All of that stuff just destroys us. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it destroys us. He paid the price. Now, you may be thinking, you may be sitting here thinking this morning, well, you don't, you don't get it, Pastor. This man or, or, or this woman or, or this, this, rela- this relationship is going to give me what I need. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't understand. It's going to help me. It, you're going to, it, this relationship that I've decided to get into is going to help me find my identity. I'm going to find my, I don't know who I am. I am confused. I'm confused. The whole world's confused. And this is going to help me find my identity. It, it, it's going it, it, to, it'll, 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 it'll help me to fulfill something in my, and that it's inside of me that I can't fulfill. It will complete me. This relationship is going to complete me. It's going to give me all those things. It's going to, here, here's what it's going to do. It's going to, it's going to satisfy the longings in my heart. I promise you before God, okay, and for every wise person, older wise person I've ever met in my life, that is the furthest thing from the truth. 
That is the furthest. It will not give you the longings of your heart. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The enemy wants nothing more than to drag you down to misery and suffering. And if you keep that way of thinking, you're going to achieve the misery and the suffering. Nothing can be further from the truth. All it will do is lead you further away from God and lead to spiritually devastating consequences. Solomon, as he as he began to turn around, a wiser Solomon later in life said this in Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen: God will bring every deed into judgment. God will bring every deed into judgment. Now, I know, I, I know that you may be confused about who you are, okay? The world is totally confusing, especially if you're younger, okay? They are trying desperately to confuse you about who you are. So I know that you may be confused about who you are, and I know you may be confused about what your purpose is in life. I know the pressures to conform to this culture and this world are sometimes absolutely overwhelming. I'm not pl- I promise you I'm not playing it down. I understand All the pressures around you to conform to what everyone else is expecting you to conform to. I I know how desperately so many people want to fit in. They want to fit in. Who doesn't want to fit in? And, And deeper than that, I know how desperately you want to be loved. You want someone to love you. This group is not loving you. Maybe that group will love me. And so you want to fit in. So you make choices that are that could have a devastating impact on your, on your life. But let me assure you of, of one thing again that I'm 100% right about. Solomon is completely correct. Apart from, apart from God, everything, all these things are meaningless. They're chasing after the wind. Your thirst for what you're desiring in your heart, your thirst will never be quenched. It'll just, you'll, it'll, it'll never be enough. It's never enough. Satan just kind of strings you along. It's like the carrot in front of the donkey, okay? You can never get to it. It's never enough and never enough and never enough and never. Just one more mountain to climb. Just one more. If I could just get to this, if I just had more of this or more of that. It's just, but it's never enough. Until so you find yourself in a pit of despair and, and you're, you're, you're depressed, you're overwhelmed, you're discouraged, and you don't even know how to get out of that pit anymore because it will never, ever, ever be enough. This is what Solomon teaches. This is the greatest lesson this man can teach us is that it is never enough. True peace, joy, and contentment is only found in a life that honors God. It is only found in a life that honors God and a life that is, is when you choose to be set apart for him. That's where you find true peace, joy, and contentment in a life that honors God, in a life that is obedient to God, in a life that is set apart for God. You honestly, your true identity only comes from knowing Him. You cannot know yourself if you don't know your God because your God created you and He knows you better than you know yourself. And it is only through walking through life with Him that you will truly understand who you are. You cannot find it in any other relationship in this world it can't be done in a thousand relationships it can't be done it is found in one relationship listen to me i have my own little motto i live to an audience of one 
I live to an audience of one. You need to live to an audience of one. The only thought that matters, the only, the only thing that matters is what God thinks of you, not what anyone else thinks of you. And until you understand that, you will never truly understand who you are. And your purpose is only, your purpose, who God designed you to be, is only found as you worship Him with your whole heart. As you give yourself to Him with your whole heart. As you offer up your body, as the Bible says, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. When you realize, this is what will make all the difference. When you realize that He is enough. That Christ is sufficient. You need nothing else but Jesus Christ for to find true peace, to find true joy, to find true contentment, to find true happiness in this world. Christ is sufficient. He, God, is enough. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. I just pray, dear God, That you would speak to each one of our hearts. We are all on a spiritual journey. Whether we realize it or not. And God we pray that you would help us. And you would walk with us along that journey. We can't do it without you. And when we veer off course. Even for years. Maybe people in this room have veered off course for years. Let them understand Lord God. That you're a God of grace. And a God of mercy. And a God of compassion. And a God of love. And a God who wants to draw them close to yourself. A God who chew when we repent. When we, when we say that we're sorry. A God that chooses not only to forgive. But to do what we can't do. Forget. What a privilege to be called your children. I pray to your God. That we would walk in step with you. I pray that we would follow the, the advice of David. And that we would, we would hold our, your decrees and your laws and your commandments and, and your desires deep in our hearts. That we would know your word. And that you would give us wisdom to apply your word to our lives and to the lives of others. That they may be built up as well. Encourage each person here, Lord God, wherever they need encouragement. Let us leave here feeling strong, feeling, feeling prepared to face the world. Feeling prepared to overcome the world. Because truly, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we pray all these things. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.